Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. This episode is a very, very special episode. It was actually recorded before COVID-19, so before we all went on lockdown, and it was meant to be the very first episode of the Women in Data podcast. Obviously, um, with everything that happened, we changed the plan, but here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm here with Victoria Pike, who is head of data at Mencap. I met Victoria just over a year ago, I would say. Um, I was at this moment in my life where I wanted to do something where I could make a difference in people's life. And I was a bit concerned about where I was heading in my career, if it was the right path for me. And I met Helen Hunter through Women in Data who told me she had this amazing woman, Victoria Pike, who had just joined MenCap, and she put me in touch with Victoria. Since then, Victoria has played a really big part in my life, so guiding me through my careers, challenges I was facing, helping me to navigate really through my decisions and then how I could make things better and work out for me. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Karen. Hi. Delighted to be here with you today. I was thinking, but we've been chatting for a while, going for coffee in the morning, but it would be great to to share your story with the world, really, because I think you have a lot to share and loads of people could benefit from your story. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and then your role at Mencap and your responsibilities? Yeah, thanks, Karen. Sure. And, and you know, th- thank you so much for that lovely introduction. That, that really means uh, a lot to me that, that I've helped you in this last year. So I, I work for Mencap, which is a large UK charity uh, in the UK that support people with a learning disability. So I'm head of data. Uh, and by being head of data, I try and use our data and information to basically create a world which is better for people with a learning disability. There are 1.5 million people in this country that live with a learning disability. And our vision as a charity is to ensure that that they are listened to, included and valued. And I have personal experience uh, that tells me that that isn't the case. So I'm very driven to use our data and information, not only internally at Mencap, but externally to help create that better world. Okay, that's really, that's very interesting and inspiring. So uh, at Mencap, with all the data you're um, using and all the systems you're putting together, is there any particular challenges you're facing? Yes. I mean, I think, I think most organisations, um, be them charitable or corporate or public sector, um, small, medium, large, extra large, are, are facing into the, the huge amounts of data and information that, 
that we possess, not only within the boundaries of our organizations, but externally as well. So actually, you know, the real challenge uh, for MENCAP at the moment is just getting a hold of our data and understanding it and then sharing it out again. Uh, so I call this um, democratization of data within MENCAP. Uh, so how, how can we remove the barriers for people uh, to access the data that they need when they need it? Uh, and, and that's around um, education, that's around system access, that's around consolidation of, of uh, data into a single place, uh, and then serving it up in the easiest way um, for, for the people who need it. So that's a huge task at MENCAP, uh, and I'm sure many other organisations as well. But that's number one. Number two is, of course, if we're sharing our data, we need to make sure it's reliable data, right? So, you know, the whole data quality piece and whether, whether the data is timely, whether it's consistent, ensuring that actually when we get data, we can rely on it, we trust it. So at the very heart of what I'm trying to achieve is democratization of reliable data. And I am trying to deliver through, of course, uh, people, process, and technology, because you, you can't do one without the other. You can't just go on a technology sort of drive and think that that's going to solve your data problems, because if you don't bring the people in the process with you, you're going to spend an awful lot of time and money uh, delivering, at, say, a platform that no one uses. So it's sort of a three-pronged attack, if you like, <laughs> um, for delivering democratised and reliable data. And that, that's within MENCAP. So that, that's sort of looking at how we can improve our efficiencies uh, and use our data better to make decisions. But then there's the external data, and that's when it gets really interesting. So looking at um, or, or thinking about the 1.5 million people in the country, are their needs being met by the local authorities? And if we, if we can understand the data that, that resides outside of our organisation and identify whether needs are not being met, that's when we can really make a difference to, to people and uh, can lobby externally for change. So you're talking about using the data to help uh, making the need of people with a learning disability to be met. Do you have an example of need that today is not met? So, for example, there have been instances where local authorities need to provide a certain amount of need. And an example of that might be uh, provide annual uh, support review okay, okay. For, for that person and if they are not providing an annual review where, where the, the multi-agencies come together to uh, assess whether the needs of the person need to be extended for example if they don't come together then it's possible that the person with a learning disability has a need that is unmet so if we, if we can use the data to tell us that actually there are people that aren't having their annual reviews in time, then that is a data point that we can really use to lobby against. 
Okay, it really goes towards using data to make a real difference and really helping people get better and feel better and then listen, as you said previously. Moving a bit towards more of your career, let's say, before joining Mencap, you were at Sainsbury's. How did you leave this transition? Because it's going from a retail grocer towards a more charitable company, I want to say. Was there any massive adjustments that you had to do in your ways of working or in your visions to be able to adapt to Mencap? Oh, it's a great question, Karen. And, um, you know, before, before I left, the, you know, the wonderful organization, Sainsbury's, um, a huge organization, you know, the bedrock of our groceries <laughs> in the country. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had a real motivation to leave in terms of uh, where I was going to, that is, um, yeah. because Mencap is such a wonderful charity and I have a personal connection um, with its cause. Uh, so to be motivated by something beyond, I guess, the, you know, data or computing or technology, actually to be personally motivated by something, something that touches me and my family was a first actually so in in my whole career i i never worked for an organization that touched me so personally so i was really driven from that perspective uh and when i when i left sainsbury's and joined mencab and i'm feeling the tingles down my spine now by the way <laughs> uh, and and within the first couple of months i sat on a call where we were talking about placing technology into the hands of a person with a learning disability for, uh, and for the first time in her life she could turn the lights off before she went to sleep without the help of a support worker oh, wow. uh, and to think to think that you know Mencap but also uh, and the team at Mencap and also myself had a part to play in that you know you just you just don't get those tingles in quite the same way for, for other organizations. And whilst I, you know, feeding the nation is a great cause, uh, and I did get satisfaction from, you know, ensuring that food were on the shelves, etc. Not quite the same thing. But also coming back to your, your other question, you know, the challenges and, and from moving from a large corporate to a charity. You know, the retail sector is hard. Okay, uh, it's competitive and uh, there are disruptors and um, existing organizations like Sainsbury's need to work really hard to um, disrupt themselves actually, disrupt the sector themselves that is, uh, and uh, ensure that they're, they're serving uh, their customers in the best way that they can. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was this very much a focus on, you know, how, how fast can we move, how lean can we be, etc. And then I joined a charity and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, if I thought that I had to be lean and move fast in Sainsbury's, well, now I know what lean really means. Uh, and actually having to deliver essentially the same agenda when it comes to data but with a much smaller budget. And, and yes, of course, we're a much smaller organization, but it is the same challenges. And 
actually I've really enjoyed that because it's made me be super creative about how we do some of these things um, and when you're super creative often or I think what I found at Maincap is I've made things more simple and when they're more simple they're cheaper and faster yeah but I've also left behind you know a huge organization that has um capability in in lots of different areas uh, and and i you know i miss the support mechanism that is wrapped around you in a place like i love the fact that 3du were driven by some personal history and personal beliefs to go towards an organization where you thought you could make a difference in someone's life that's very very inspiring but can you tell me a bit more about how you got into data Okay, yes, yes, sure, sure. Um, I'll try and give the abridged version. Uh, so I think, I think lots of people are like this as well, actually. And if I rewind way back to when I was at school, you know, when you're 16, you, you, many people, and I have three young sons, I say young, they're teenagers, right? <laughs> they're young. <laughs> who, who don't know what they particularly want to do. And, and it's really, really hard. It's like, oh, yes, I want to work in data. And, and, and was I like that? No, I wasn't. Uh, I actually, um, funny enough, at that age, did know what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with horses and in stables and left school at 16 and did that. Uh, and very, very quickly realised, actually, um, that wasn't what I wanted to do. It was, like, you know, you might think it was some sort of teenage fantasy, I guess, to yeah. work with horses, you know. Uh, but the realities of it were, were far different. So I then, I then went back to uh, college after the, the year out. And, you know, I hadn't done well in my um, O-levels as they were back then, GCSEs. Uh, and I didn't get maths O-level, but I, I did get English and I did get uh, horse mastership. So I had two <laughs> O-levels and I went back and I went on to a course that, that you know, for you know, a low entry course. And on the first day uh, was asked, you know, has anyone, you know, so the teacher came in, has anyone got two O-levels or more? And I put my hand up. Uh, I took a test and I uh, accepted a place on the computer studies BTEC. And I had no idea if I liked computer studies, if I was any good at computer studies, uh, but the test said that, you know, I was good enough to go on it and, uh, you know, essentially make up for the fact that I had poor O-level results. So, I, I went. I went on that course, and I, I was, you know, I hadn't. I hadn't succeeded in my GCSEs. I uh, I only got two, as I said. But on on the first assignment, um, that the teacher was berating the whole class for how, you know, how poor the the, the assignments returned were, apart from one who got an A, and that was me. And I was like, <laughs> me, really. I wasn't used to getting A's, I wasn't used to doing well, and it, it was a real kind of, oh, I think I might be okay at this, actually, and, and here's a teacher that believes in me, and, and actually, you know, 
finding people that believe in you is so important whether it's at school whether it's in your career whether it's in your in your um, leisure life it, it's actually being people who share your energy who believe in you can propel you to where where you want to go and that that was how i entered into essentially data because computing of course is all about how we um organize manipulate data uh, and went on and, and did computer science at university uh, and forged a career in technology. So that's how I got into it. And it was like completely unplanned. I mean, I don't think you can get much more unplanned than that. It's really interesting how you talk about how uh, people are believing in you is important. So recently there's been a lot of talk on support networks and then mentors etc and this is something i do believe makes a massive difference in people's life coming back to how you got into data it's funny that you knew what you wanted to do when you were a teenager and then in the end you ending up loving something completely different and it's a bit like me i guess because until i was 20 i absolutely wanted to be a math teacher and that's because I was good at math from the beginning. Basically what was going on is both of my parents were working full time and really long hours on a very tiny island. And my granddad was taking me to school and then bringing me back, helping me do my homework. And he used to be a math teacher. Uh, so he was my, my role model. So this is the person I was seeing every single day helping me with my life, believing in me really, and then encouraging me to do something. So I wanted to be like him. And studying, going to Paris, I thought I was going to fail my bachelor's degree. <laughs> and I had no plan for after, because for me, I was going to redo the year. When I passed, I went to the head of the bachelor's degree and told her, oh my God, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And she said, actually, you're really good at statistics and moving data around and things like that maybe you want to consider this master's in applied statistics and data analysis i had no clue where that was leading to so even if someone knew about data and then pointing me toward the right direction i still didn't know what kind of jobs that would lead me to if there was a career behind it and i just thought oh yeah right that's cool i actually like it and then i'm very curious because you can get so much from the data. So I went there and this is how I got into data. So kind of randomly like you, just because someone told me, oh, you could be good at that. Do you feel like there are lots of people facing this issue? And then maybe there is a case of putting data more out there for loads of people to find out about it. I I mean that that's that's fascinating your story, isn't it? And it really it really chimes with mine. In in as much as uh, you, you know, being young and, and not really knowing what's out there, and and how how is that an issue? And how how can we help it not being an issue? And I think the wonderful work that uh, women in data are doing uh, to to open the eyes of young people to the pathways into data is amazing. So uh, some, some if you haven't seen the girls in data 
video that, that was released uh, a few days ago that shows some of the pathways into data, then it's a really great watch for anyone, <laughs> not just young people, not just women and girls, but anyone, right? Um, but going back to how do we know what the pathways are? It's really difficult, isn't it? Uh, and our modern times change so quickly these days. You know, we, we rewind 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago. What roles that we are working in now existed back then? Head of data at MENCAP exists? No. Chief data officers exist then? No. And these roles are, are new because of um, how fast technology is evolving. Fast forward another five, ten years, how much will it change again? Well, I have no doubt that we're still living in this fast forward environment. So I guess it's painting stories, it's telling stories, it's sharing stories around um, how different people got into, in inverted commas, data, because data is so huge, right? There's so many different ways uh, and different jobs that you could do in data. Yeah, that, that's really true. I mean, in one organization, you could have two people working in data, seated next to each other, but doing completely different things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, isn't it? It's like data is all around us. It's, it's sort of all, all encompassing. You, you, you say you work in data, you're like, right, okay, that could mean anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like saying I work with people. It's like, right, yeah. okay, so what does that mean? Um, so much. And I think if we, if we could have um, a way of perhaps categorizing the different pathways into data and what, and what that means and potentially what from a skill set or, or uh, your strengths, you know, because I, I really believe that creative, a lot of people talk about STEM and maths being really important when you go into data. And I think for certain pathways, they are absolutely crucial. But let's not um, forget the pathways where actually creative arts-based strengths, let's say, are, are equally important because if we don't have the people that can create and imagine the world which we use data in then we are missing a trick so actually uh, enhancing and um, creating those pathways for the creative people as well is equally important in my view it is true that uh, depending on the job you're doing math and STEM might be very, very important. But nowadays in teams, you also see people coming from a history background or arts background or English background. And it's all about, I guess, how you use your brain to solve problems and how you do things really and how much you can learn and apply to everything you're trying to, to do really. I completely agree, Karen, and, and we, we talk about diversity a lot, uh, diversity in so many different ways. But when we think about diversity in thought um, and, and bringing that creativity to that diversity in thought, so you have the logical and the creative, I mean, I think that can be magical, and I've, I've seen it be mag magical as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see a time where we've actually tackled this and then we've been able to show it to the world and everybody can be clear on, oh, okay, this is where I want to go and then this is how I'm going to do it. 
stepping back a bit from this, I would like to talk about how to own your career. So I remember us having a, a conversation one morning and then you were talking about when you had your children and you had a career break, uh, how you managed to get back into it. This was really interesting for me and very inspiring because it's all about really finding the strength and then identifying how you can get back into it. Because as you said, data is a very fast paced environment and then things change quite fast. So how difficult was it to go back into computer science and data and then being able to go back to the technology, which I guess had changed already? Yeah, it was really difficult <laughs> in, a, in the short answer. Um, but the, the, longer, the longer answer is together, I mean, I, I had two career breaks uh, that amounted to around about 10 years in total, so a long time. Uh, and certainly a long time in technology and data. It was 10 years that I absolutely loved as well. So yeah. it, it was, you know, spent with, um, with my young children. Uh, and when they weren't quite so young, then I did all sorts of other things as well. And it was those all sorts of other things where I learned so much. So, for example, I um, bought a rundown property, uh, did it up. Uh, I brought, bought it at auction. Can you believe I had okay. my hand up? It was so nerve-wracking. Um, you know, did it up uh, and, then, and then sold it. Uh, I also set up a web development business and, you know, found my own customers and websites for people. Uh, and, and doing these things, you learn so much around uh, well, being entrepreneurial, um, managing customers, suppliers, uh, you know, things that I hadn't done before. So. But the most important thing that I did out in my, aside from looking after my family, was volunteering for different things. So I volunteer for uh, Lambeth Council and I, I am chair for their children's exclusions and admission review panels, but I was also chair of um, a football club and chair for the PTA at the school. And the reason why I say this, and particularly for the football club and the school, it's about managing volunteers. And if anyone has tried to manage and motivate volunteers before, they'll know what I mean uh, and what it takes to motivate people that you actually, you're not paying, you don't have any direct, you know, you're not, you're not a line manager, you're not sort of um, uh, in an organisation with, with all of the frameworks around you. And for me, those skills that I picked up doing those activities, I felt, well, this is great because this means I can get back into the workplace and can refer to all of these things that I've done um, because they're so relevant and transferable. And I mean, we're talking seven years ago now, but and it's a real pity that people didn't really want to hear it. Yeah. They didn't really want to hear that, that I had been um, leading a group of volunteers at a school to raise the most money that had ever been raised in one year. They didn't want to know that, that a football club that was going to fold and um, that, that uh, served 100 children was um, then didn't fold and a, a good committee put in place uh, so that it could self-sustain. They didn't want to hear this. Uh, and that, that is a real pity 
And so what I had to do was actually dig out my work that I had done 10 years previously uh, and, and try and present that in a way that was uh, acceptable and digestible for, for, for 10 years later. And what that actually meant was then taking a step back because it, it seemed to me after a, a while, a while trying to get back into the workplace that I, I just I just couldn't get back into the same sort of seniority as I was when I left. Yeah. So, however, this is not all gloomy. I don't want, I don't want to paint a really gloomy picture because perseverance. So, um, and then finding an organisation that really, really kind of aligns to you, um, both them to you and you to them. And that's what Sainsbury's was for me. I was given the opportunity to join Sainsbury's. Yes, it was a step back in my career, but because of the, my, year, my years out, those 10 years, and because of all of that experience um, in those 10 years, and because of the, the experience I gained before having children, I just accelerated. Actually, it's not um, a gloomy picture. Take time out if that's what you would like to do. Don't necessarily consider it something that's going to hold you back in the long term because you just you can just accelerate once you're back in. And that's absolutely what um, I did when I when I joined Sainsbury's. So I, I was, you know, that's a really fab reflection for me. Um, because certainly when I was applying for jobs and getting knockbacks in presenting some of my experience, I, it, it all felt a bit hard. Yeah, there are so many women taking career breaks to take care of their children or maybe wanting to focus on some side hustles that they would like to develop. And there are also lots of women who see this as a problem because they think, oh, I'm going to let go of this career. And then when I come back, I don't know if it's still going to be here for me. But thanks to your story, you can see that even when you have a, a long gap, it is possible to to do something if you believe in it. And then I guess if you, as you said, persevere and find the right people to, to support you to get back in there. Well, I mean, that you, you touched on a really important point there. Find the right people. It's so important. So, you, you know, when, when I, when I joined Sainsbury's uh, back in 2013, that it's such a big organisation, but, but, you know, find, find the people that you connect with whether they are your peers or more senior or in another part of the organization, just people you connect with, people who share your energy and inspire you, that, that will help propel you forward. You're, if you're with the right people, your own self-belief and confidence grows. The landing in Sainsbury's in 2013, I actually quite, had quite low confidence. Um, because of my experience, uh, but through through the journey at Sainsbury's, you know, grew and grew and grew. And I mean, the other the other thing to say is, having had ten years out, coming back, I was operating it for most of the time outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I think this is another reason why I accelerated because when you operate outside of your comfort zone this is when you learn the most. And so I learned so much so quickly 
so so that that was really good and just another thing to say actually uh karen the the experience that i had on those 10 years out and i i referred to the sort of non the non-family experience but actually raising children from when they're very young through to school age and beyond will really shore up some of your management <laughs> techniques, right? <laughs> so I, I, I bet it will. <laughs> I can definitely see myself failing at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's, the, it's the test, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, do you have any advice on how to find the, the right people, so the one who have the same level of energy as you and that will help you move forward and will push you and encourage you? Um, yeah, it's, it's a great question because, you know, you can't put an ad out, can you? <laughs> Hello, I'm looking for yeah. someone. <laughs> uh, um, I, guess, I guess my answer, you know, just thinking about how I did it. When you're going about your everyday job, you know, in meetings or you're in doing projects um, or, or, or maybe you're going to a, an event outside work or, or even in, in your sort of personal life. When you meet someone in, and you think you like them, you like their energy, um, there's a connection that's, you know, perhaps intangible. Then think, think about how you might be able to develop that, how you might, you know, is there something that you can do together? Is there some way you could help that person or they perhaps could help you? And often people are so willing to help, you know, they just want to be asked. Uh, and I guess that comes down to a bit of bravery you know, around actually, yes, that, you know, the people that you're meeting that perhaps inspire you, they're, they're just waiting to be asked and that, that it's a bit of bravery. And I, and that's exactly what I did at Sainsbury's. I approached the people that most inspired me and I, I never got a, I've, I'm too busy or um, I, I'd rather do something else. Uh, so, so that's what I would do is just be on the lookout. For inspiring people at, at whatever level as well like yeah. for example yeah no go <laughs> yeah so because I was going back to the oh I'm too busy this is really true because every time I want to contact someone I would think oh this person has better things to do than answer my email or meet me for coffee and in the end I never had anyone telling me I can't meet you I'm too busy I've had people telling me, oh, this week I'm busy, but let's meet the week, let's meet the week after. But it's really true because we, we have this idea where oh, people are not going to, to want to do this. And in fact, it's not true. And also, it's, uh, if, if you sort of commit the time to pursuing, uh, and I, I do call them friendships yeah. as well, right? So it, it, it forms, you start to form uh, a friendship. And actually then um, giving the space yourself, prioritizing, um, meeting people like that will actually help you in your work. Think yeah. more sharply um, based on some of the conversations that you've had um, with, with whoever you've had. Yeah, that's really great advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. 
Oh, well, thank you, Karen. It's been an absolute delight and, and so nice to, you know, talk, talk to you about, about, you know, data and, you know, how to, how to get on and, and sort of career breaks. And it's all, it's like, it's a whirlwind. Went back to when I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you would like to register to the community, all you need to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. It's free and easy. Please feel free to share the link with anyone you think would benefit from being part of the community. You can also follow us on social media, so LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you and have some feedback that will help us enhance the content and bring the guests you want to hear from. Have a great day.